And gracious God, I pray now that you would help us to pay attention to what it is you would say to us. God, I pray that as my words line up with your words, that they would fall on ears and hearts ready to receive them and respond. And God, if I say anything that isn't from you, I pray that those words would quickly be forgotten. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the priests here at Truro. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open it up to Acts chapter 13. This morning, we're continuing our journey with the lectionary through Acts. If you don't have a Bible, you can find Acts 13 on page 922 of your pew Bibles. Or if you have a smartphone, you can Google Acts 13, and Google will take you right there. Now, this week's text is a short follow-up to last week's longer reading in Acts chapter 13. So before we dive in, let's do a quick review in order to set the context. This is part of a much larger episode in Antioch and Pisidia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Paul and Barnabas arrive in town, and as was their custom, they went to the synagogue on the Sabbath to teach. You can read Paul's sermon in the earlier verses of Acts 13. It's Paul's first fully recorded sermon in Acts, and it's a compelling witness to Jesus. At the heart of the sermon lies this declaration. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That's verses 38 and 39 of chapter 13. Let me read that again. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The text tells us that many believed and followed Paul and Barnabas and that they were urged to stay and preach again the following week on the Sabbath. And that's where our story picks up in verse 44. Luke, who's the author of Acts, writes this. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Over the course of the week, word had gotten out, so much so that now almost everyone in the city has turned up to hear the word of the Lord. We've got a crowd. But where the previous week many believed and the people begged them to return and teach again, this time people respond differently. The text tells us in verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Brothers and sisters, a large crowd or a full church doesn't necessarily mean fruit, nor does it necessarily mean faithfulness. But Paul and Barnabas respond with boldness. Verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy to eternal life. Behold, 
we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What we see here is the next step forward in God's plan for the world, a plan that it can be traced all the way back from Genesis 12, when God tells Abraham that all the people of the world will be blessed through him. And then through Isaiah 9, 49, which is quoted here in this text, when God promises that through the Messiah, through Jesus, God will grow his people to include every nation and people and tribe and tongue. We see that beginning to happen here in Acts. First in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls upon Jesus' followers and they miraculously preach the gospel in power in other tongues, that all people might hear the good news of Jesus and respond. Again, in Acts 10 and 11, when Peter has an encounter with the Holy Spirit and a Gentile named Cornelius who receives the gospel and responds and his entire household is baptized. And that outward expansion of God's mission which is one of the primary themes of the book of Acts and would be the life purpose of the Apostle Paul, continues here as Paul is rejected by the Jews and aligns himself with the purposes of God. That is, preaching the good news of Jesus to all nations. Friends, there is always room for more people in the kingdom of God. There's room for the unexpected. There's room for the undeserving. There's room for the too far gone. There is always room for more people in the kingdom of God. There's room for the hurting. There's room for the doubting. There's room for the sinner and room for the uncertain. There's room for the one coming for the first time to Jesus. And there's room for the one coming back for the thousandth time. We see here in the text that the Gentiles, they receive the good news that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is possible. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which they could not be freed by the law of Moses. And they receive this gospel truth with joy. There's an invitation in this text for you And for me, no matter how close or how far away Jesus feels from us today, to again receive this news, to again receive this truth with joy today. That's what the Gentiles, those who were formerly outsiders, do in our story. Look with me at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Now I'd like to just make a few observations regarding these few verses. First, let's state the obvious. Good news is worth celebrating. Good news is worth celebrating. And so when believing and receiving the good news that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins, the Gentiles rejoice. They can't help 
but rejoice and give glory to God for what he has done. One of the things that I love about our Anglican tradition is that we celebrate the Eucharist or communion each and every week. And we call it celebrating on purpose with the priest who presides at the table being called the celebrant. Each and every week, we remember and proclaim what Jesus has done for us. We hear the gospel in our Eucharistic liturgy again, and we rejoice together. Because while much of life is undoubtedly difficult, and hardship and tragedy is certainly our frequent companion in this life, it is not all that there is. Nor does suffering or pain or even death, for those who believe, get the final word. Jesus gets the final word. And the gospel reminds us that in him we have life despite our present hardships. And so we, like the Gentiles here in Acts 13, respond to him every week as we celebrate the Lord's table with joy. Now, look at this. The word of the Lord, it says right here in verse 48, goes out into the whole region despite strong opposition. Nothing or nobody can stop the gospel from going forth, from spreading. God's kingdom, it's ever expanding. And while it may seem from time to time that people or circumstances persecution or opposition. It might seem that those things might slow down the purposes of God. The truth of the matter is that God is God. And if death and all the forces of evil couldn't stop him, then certainly challenging circumstances or temporary opposition doesn't stand a chance. Friends, believe me, it might seem like things are getting worse. It may seem like the days are dark or the cause is lost or that God couldn't possibly get his way. But the one who conquered death is alive, and he is still at work. He is still winning people. He is still changing lives. He's still meeting people in their hardest of days and shining light in the darkest of places. It might not always seem like it. We may not always be able to see it. And that is often certainly the way that we feel in any given moment. We don't always see it in the moment. We don't always get what we want or what we expect in the timeline that we hope for. But friends, if the resurrection really happened, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then all the present challenges of this life, as hard as they may be, and I don't want to minimize that, right? Our suffering and grief, the hardships of the present moment, those are real. But if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then they are just temporary. And Jesus really does have the power to set you and I free. And brothers and sisters, he is the one who does it. Look with me right here, verse 48. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This 
is such a relief for me. It's such a relief for me as a preacher that it's not up to me to save anybody, which is a good thing because I'm not really that good at saving people. <laughs> Rather, Jesus is the one who saves us. We're not asked to do the saving, thank God. What a relief. Take the pressure off. We're just asked to be obedient, which is no small thing. But we're just asked to be obedient. Paul and Barnabas here, they obey. They go where they're sent. They say what God wants them to say. And then Jesus does the saving, despite the opposition. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. God gets God's way despite opposition. And opposition does come. We pick the story back up here in verse 50. The Jews, they incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the day. They incited everybody, it seems, who's of any importance in the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Look, here's the thing. God's word is still doing its work. And we're still being invited to receive the gift of God and to rejoice, whether for the first time or the thousandth time. Jesus is constantly inviting us to follow him, to take steps of faith in response to him. And he's still doing it today around the world. His mission is still ever-expanding. Just this past week, Dana and Karen, a couple of the missionaries we support as a church, they're right here today, hey Karen, were sharing with some of us some of the stories of the way God is moving among their Muslim friends in Indonesia. They shared how thousands there are coming to know Jesus, who are hearing the good news and believing. They told us of communities and people groups who had previously been completely unreached, who had never heard the good news of Jesus, and are now hearing the gospel. They're hearing the good news that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of sins in order that we might be freed from sin and death and instead live with God. They're hearing that good news, and they're responding. They're believing, thousands of them. And that is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating. But not everybody responds that way to Jesus with rejoicing. We don't always respond to Jesus with rejoicing. I heard a story once about the famous reformer, Martin Luther. And the story goes like this, that Martin Luther preached a sermon and as priests are wont to do, processed out the back and was standing outside, shaking hands, greeting people after the sermon. And the story goes, a parishioner walked up to him and said, pastor, that was a great sermon. But when are you gonna get to the meat? It seems like you preach the same sermon week after week. And the story goes like this. Martin Luther looked at him and said, it's because week after week, we forget it. 
It's because week after week, we forget it. Henry Nouwen wrote that the Christian life is a constant call to conversion. So here's the last observation I'd like to make today. If you look closely with me at the text, you'll see a thematic repetition in the beginning of our reading and again at the end of our reading. In verse 45, Luke tells us that the Jews saw the crowds and they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. They're filled with jealousy. The Greek word here could also be translated as indignation. They're filled with indignation or they're filled with punitive zeal. They're filled with resentment. Suddenly they're itching for a fight. And this is what they're filled with. And whereas earlier in chapter 13, they responded to Paul and to Barnabas and the good news of Jesus with soft hearts, here, for whatever reason, they respond with hard hearts. How we respond both to Jesus and to others says something about the state of our hearts. And it stands in sharp contrast with what we see in verse 52, where despite persecution, Luke writes that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that repetition there? Their hearts towards the truth, towards God, towards the sharing of the good news, even under trying circumstances, their hearts are soft. And where the religious insiders are filled with indignation, the disciples, and Luke doesn't tell us exactly which disciples. It could be Paul and Barnabas. It could be the new believers in Antioch and Pisidia. It could be both. They are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You've got some with hard hearts filled with resentment and indignation and jealousy, and some filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, there are a million things in the world today or circumstances in our lives every day that could cause indignation or resentment or jealousy in us. That could get a rise out of us. And perhaps some of those things ought to get a rise out of us, but I am just, I am so struck by the juxtaposition in this text of heart posture. On the one hand, you've got a group filled with jealousy and indignation, itching for a fight with hard hearts towards Jesus and others. And on the other hand, we've got a group who joyfully receives the good news, who's filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with joy, their hearts soft towards Jesus. They hear the good news and they respond. And so here's the question I'd like to leave us with this morning as we're confronted again by the good news of Jesus. As we have the opportunity, as we gather here in worship, we come to the Lord's table together. We're invited to respond to Jesus again. Here's the question I'd like to ask as we're invited to respond to Jesus again. What does the posture of your heart look like towards Jesus today? Are you filled with indignation? Is your heart 
towards Jesus and others rather hard. If we're honest, this is all of us, myself included, more often than not. We've all got plenty of baggage and hurt and reasons for entitlement or frustration towards God and others. There are a million reasons we harden our hearts towards God. And millions of reasons for indignation or jealousy. So I'd like to invite you this morning, with whatever hurt you've brought in with you, whatever might be causing your heart to be hardened, to shift your posture in response to Jesus. Because there's an invitation here to receive the good news of Jesus again with rejoicing. And in doing so, to replace whatever fills you, that which makes your hard heart, your heart hard towards Jesus, and to replace it and be filled instead with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Will you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, I do, I pray that you would do this work in my heart. And that you would do this work in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would give us hearts that are soft towards you and towards others. That your spirit would do that in us. I pray, God, that as we prepare to, as we respond to you, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table together, I pray that you would fill us with joy. And I pray, come Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts again? Would you replace the junk and the hardness with your joy and your love? And I pray these things in the name of Jesus, who has the power to do it. Amen.